0: Hello and welcome to Private Practice Podcast, The Flow Season. We're on episode eight and it's the flow of solitude. And other people. The flow of solitude and other people. It's, the chapter is called Enjoying Solitude and Other People. Oh, right. The flow of enjoying solitude and then enjoying other people. Yes.
1: And it's a much more complicated chapter certainly than last week about work uh the work chapter was basically a nice little story about the guy who made his rainbow fountains and then how you apply the flow chart to work so matching your ability with the challenge to create perpetually increasing complexity in order to enjoy your work with some historical context of the industrial revolution and the it revolution but this week It's a whole lot more complicated, as is evident from the fact that I needed two pieces of paper to write down all the things in the episode. There's a small possibility, and I'm saying it now, because otherwise... I'm just saying it now. Whoa. You can work out why. This might be Uh. the flow of solitude and other people, part one. I don't know. Also, I noticed there on your paper, James, you've used two colours. Yes, for subheading and content... So, in the chapter, these are not the official... Subheadings.
0: These are my yes. subheadings. I've already said that. I haven't because I'm going to edit out the bit that you haven't heard, dear listener. Private Practice Podcast.
1: For the benefit of the listener, we are in the private practice kitchen this week. So yes, if we you are. if you had if you did hear any bubbling at the start of the episode, it's because Dan is cooking. Mm-hmm. The first bit that we're going to talk about is the pain of loneliness, in which there is some repetition of TV drugs and casual sex from previous chapters, and essentially the pain of loneliness is psychic entropy, which um, has previously come up in relation to external things, psychic entropy about. Fitting in with people,
0: having a good job. It, but also with TV, I think. We, 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 um, we badmouth Netflix quite a lot. Well, TV is a
1: way of numbing that psychic entropy. Uh-huh. Um, but this is, this is uh, specific to being alone with your own thoughts. For most people, that's a total nightmare in layman's
0: terms. Can in, you really say for most people... Mickley Chips and Mickley does. OK, I'd say for many people.
1: Uh, well, OK, so the next thing is... Uh, the next bit is Taming Solitude. And this is where uh, you might be able to predict how the only child is glorified and my life successes are immortalised in this part of the chapter in in writing. Um, he specifically uses the word God. We'll come to that. But... This bit of the chapter is about taming that psychic entropy when you're on your own. Mm -hmm. And those who manage to do that are elevated forms of human being. And guess who fits in that category? Well, I'm guessing the only child. Yes, correct. Um, There's also a nice story about someone called Dorothy who lives in the wild... Um, but then that's followed by some nihilism. Okay. So that those are just small bits. There's a huge chunk on flow and family. Ah. This goes into selfish genes, child abuse, attachment theory, utility of family, the family unit in society, monogamy, how to flow as a family, as practical tips, like a, a guide, um, longevity of relationships, and the impact of... Um, town planning with things like suburbia on the way that humans develop in relation to their family. That is an episode in itself and that's only one subheading of the chapter. That's why I'm not sure if we'll be doing all of this in one episode or if we'll be parts one and two. Then, uh, flow and friends. So, um, the contrast between friends who don't provide complexity Mm -hmm. and those who do. Mm -hmm. I think... Fortunately for you, I think you provide me with some complexity, so that's not going to be a Dan-bashing episode. Thank goodness. Uh, and then a great page, which, is, which I've entitled How to Be a Funky Dude. It's a story of, a teen- of an American teenager in the 80s, yeah. and Michele and Michele talks in a kind of embarrassing uncle way about how teenagers can find flow. Right. And it has got some peachy little quotes on that page. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Then, uh, The Loneliness of Successful People. Oh, yes. And finally, there's a kind of a bit of a half-assed conclusion to the chapter, which is the wider community where there's a couple of paragraphs about politics. Cool. But it really doesn't go into much detail there. Right. It's more a case of you can kind of guess how this goes beyond the self the family and the friends.
0: And where do you want to
1: start with all of this? I want to start where you want to start, because I've just given a formal introduction to the content of Mm. the chapter and this episode. But I want you to talk about loneliness, family and friends in your kind of impromptu introduction. And it won't be that great, because sorry to break this to you, but you are... Like all human beings, better when you have thought about something and prepared what you're going to say. but mm. you do have the delusion that you're some kind of genius, and when you're just uh, what's the word for s- improvising? Um, no. Stream of consciousnessing. Yes, um, you okay. are somehow better than other people at that, because, I don't know, because you s- because, bit- because of what, James. Why am I better? You have implied that you are... That
0: <sighs> you've, you've implied sometimes yeah, when you're just talking off the cuff, you've said, we should be recording this, this is the best. <laughs> Maybe I just liked the conversation, you know? Maybe I thought it was a good conversation. OK, so, uh, I mean, there's, there's a way to set someone up for a fall, isn't there, you know? Well, I mean, what do you want me to say? You've read the book, you're a perfect only child... You know how to manage solitude and loneliness. Why don't you kick us off? (laughs) You have read the book in the past. Yes, a long, long time ago. I decided to let your interpretation shine through. Okay. So it starts with
1: the conflict between being alone and being with others. And I can summarise that in one sentence. People say or feel, that they can't stand being alone, but equally they can't stand other people. I He put
0: pages of that go by, and I'm just going to skip over all of that. I mean, it is something you hear a lot, isn't it? That, <clears throat> that people will say, you know, oh, everyone's an idiot, or, you know, they're, they're sweeping statements like that, generalising. Um, but you also hear people, you know, there's that idea of FOMO, isn't it? I have the opposite of that. I have fear of not missing out, of having to be involved in something. So I like, I like being on my own, but I also like people coming to me. I like, I like a bit of both. I don't, I don't really think I feel loneliness anymore. Maybe I did at one stage. I don't think I feel isolation. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about that, because I know that you experienced it at times when you were abroad. Oh, I thought you were going to say yesterday. Did you feel it yesterday?
1: Well, because for the past year... yes, yesterday. The majority of the past... Let's say last year, which was 2019, this time last year, I spent the whole of January completely on my own in a small building in Montpellier. I wasn't living with the family, so there wasn't interaction in a house with other Uh, people. uh It was just a small building that I lived in on my own for a month. Um, But I don't need to repeat it. I, I went to dinner with a couple of friends on one evening and I went for dinner with the family on one evening that was two social occasions in one month and the only other time that I spoke to people was in shops and, and well specifically in like Maison Love the greatest boulangerie in the world yes yeah. the rest of the time I was in my French books in my headphones or just on my own um, doing some work on my laptop So
0: that was total solitude. So solitude, yes. So solitude and loneliness are different things, aren't they? Solitude is being by yourself. Yes. Whereas loneliness is a strong emotional reaction to solitude. Yes. Um, Well,
1: no, loneliness is a feeling of not connecting. I remember when I was a child uh, or teenager, I had a postcard that was... Um, It was given away free in cinemas by the Samaritans and it was just a green postcard that said on the front of it, loneliness breeds in large groups of people. And I, as a teenager, always felt at my... Most profoundly lonely in groups of people when I felt like I didn't fit in and I hadn't, I had no real social connection with any of them. I was just going along to someone's birthday party because I felt, I, I felt naively like I, friendships would just happen, and like if I just turned up, I would make friends. And I was constantly. Uh, disappointed with the mm. reality whereby they had all made the effort to make friends and had all known each other for a long time and they just effortlessly continued in that process and I was the weird person on the outside looking in and didn't develop any friends. If anything, probably made people less endeared towards me because there I was at a social occasion not participating. Mm. I didn't know how to. I had. I <clears> was <throat> an only child. I moved from school to school and had not antisocial parents, but parents who didn't
0: exactly have a
1: thriving social Un- scene.
0: Unsociable, maybe. Maybe. Because antisocials definitely...
1: Yeah, that's not the right word. That's that means smashing right. stuff up um, and having behaviour disorders. Happy in stuff.
0: their own company. Yes. Um, um, a content couple kind of thing. Mildly irritated at the ordeal of having to host. <laughs> so, so the thing is, you've immediately kicked off a really interesting conversation that might be i guess we'll get back to flow but the you know in terms of mental health and and big topics that are that can affect anyone pretty much that can affect anyone um loneliness is a really important one and although the chapter is about solitude and does he talk about uh, loneliness and isolation, and self isolation, and being isolated for other reasons, or is he talking about the time when you've left all of the contacts you have, all your social events, all your work events, all your you know your day to day routine, and you find yourself on your own, but you wouldn't usually consider yourself lonely. Both.
1: There's the story of Dorothy, where this is a woman who lived in the city and then moved to the middle of nowhere, um, and then there's a that it kind of Goes into detail with that, but glosses over the other. And the other is the successful business person who makes lots of money and hmm. in the process can't hold on to childhood friendships and...
0: Drifts away.
1: Uh, drifts away from from friendships uh-huh. in the process of becoming uh, financially successful.
0: His social life pushes him... His work life pushes him in a tangent away from his friends socially. It... Well, he just doesn't have time.
1: A whole load of things, A whole but, bunch of shit for that guy. Okay. But but the, the the essence of this chapter is solitude and other people enjoying solitude and other people. There are four things here, so there are two contexts: being alone and being with others. Being alone, there are two contexts. One is not being in flow, and one is being in flow. Mm -hmm. And then being with other people, not being in flow, and being in flow. So there are four outcomes. So
0: you can... um, Outcome A, B, C, and D, or outcome one, two, three, and (laughs) 4. Outcome Alpha, Beta... Outcome Pi...
1: No, outcome Hercules, Damascus, Pythagoras, and... Oh,
0: Ariadne. Ariadne. Oh, no, hang on. How about... Outcome, um you know, I can't think of any other four things. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but do you get what... want um, Gryffindor... Nice.
1: Hufflepuff? Hufflepuff. Ravenclaw? Slytherin, Ravenclaw, yeah. I think you'd probably
0: be Slytherin. <laughs> I would absolutely be Slytherin, no good, doubt about good. it. I'd like to think that I would be, um, what do you call it, Gryffindor, but I probably would be Slytherin as well.
1: No, you would be one of the insignificant ones. Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, something like that. Just, you know, pottering around, perfectly happy, in your allotment, no need to either ruin the world or defeat the bad guys. Just... <laughs> um, so, the, the four outcomes. So the book deals with those four outcomes mm-hmm. variously, but ultimately it's to do with the personal responsibility of... Being able to enjoy your own company before you can do anything else, either on your own or with other people, to
0: create flow. Ah, uh, so uh, your starting point, your baseline. Your in order to be able to do anything social or on your own, you have to be able to find flow. When on your own. Because people who are not happy with their own company and
1: need chit-chat other people around, if they're just left on their own, they descend into a chaotic spiral of psychic entropy. They are usually irritating friends. They are usually very Mm. selfish, Mm -hmm. parasitic friends. Uh Everyone knows
0: a number of them. Oh, could you name (laughs) for me? Could you... Just, just one. Just name one for me. <laughs> <laughs> Myself in the past,
1: my former self. There we go.
0: Very possibly.
1: <laughs> there's an, there's an honest and non-controversial answer. Um, got out of that one. Was a good answer. Yeah. So in the past, I mm-hmm. have looked to friends or friend social situations to be able to show off how funny I am, how mm. whatever I am. Uh, to validate myself in the fact that having other people around me means that I'm not ignored by the world. Um, these are the arguments in the book that I'm appropriating to myself, but they are relevant. Not increasing the complexity of a social situation when your chat is predictable. So this com- this will come up in the flow and friends section. Um,
0: Friends who don't provide complexity and those who do. Tell us a little bit about that achieving a baseline state of solitude flow. Are you glad that I asked? Uh, no, because you've jumped ahead. Uh... What do you mean, jumped ahead? <laughs> no, 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 no. What do you you, mean, actually, you haven't
1: jumped ahead. I was wrong to say that. You are right. You have not jumped ahead. You did the correct thing, having a conversation, not following the book page by page, rigidly in the order, f- taking the thing that we were talking about and leading into something relevant <laughs> naturally in conversation. <laughs> you are correct. Do you feel validated? I guess so, but I still wish I was not a Hufflepuff. Um... What it means is is this going to answer your question? The difference between being able to for example, spend an entire weekend at home on your on your own, not being invited to a party, not having a friend round for lunch, not going to a brunch that you've organized uh not chatting to the neighbor to just be. Not um, constantly watching TV, having music on, all that sort of stuff. It requires an element You got me there, haven't you?
0: Yeah, you you saw what I was thinking. You knew I was thinking, I can do that. You just lead me to it. But then you thought, yeah, he's got Netflix. Yeah, he's got his phone. You mean uh, turn the electrics off. as in Turn the digital world off and enjoy your own company and the things that you would enjoy that are truly rewarding. You see uh for example on the train platform
1: someone who's arrived and they look at the board and there's forever 8 minutes until their train comes bloody 8 minutes you can you can sometimes see people almost getting into a a, a borderline
0: paranoid schizophrenic uh, probably not schizophrenic but paranoid agitated anxious yes um um distraught yes yeah, state because
1: mm-hmm. Let's say they thought the train was about to arrive. They don't necessarily have their headphones in. They don't have a book. They, they're they just standing there and sort of like you can only tap your toes for a few seconds. You cannot just tap your toes for eight whole minutes. Unless you're a
0: tap dancer. Um,
1: mindfulness solves this. Elements of being an only child solve this. Mm-hmm. Um, aging solves this. So the person... The, the, what should we call them? The failure at life? The platform waiter. The normal person. You... I don't know how to refer... So the pers- Who are you talking to now? OK, I'm just going to... So the person who's standing on the platform with eight minutes before the train, no music in their head, no book, no phone or anything initially, you can see them getting agitated. They're agitated because in their head they have the psychic entropy that we've talked about before. I'm too fat. My job is rubbish, I don't like this commute, going to a job where people don't treat me with respect and the, the job isn't meaningful because I'm just doing the thing that, um, whatever, my parents told me I should do, my careers advisor, mm-hmm. the, job, the only job I could get, I didn't get the job I wanted, whatever. Job, bad. They're Health, bad. They're
0: stuck in their own head. they Relationship, bad. They don't yeah. want to be there. Okay, whatever they're, it is.
1: Yeah, so they've... So, and now they've got eight minutes in which when a human is left alone without a specific task to do, without a distraction like TV or music, without or, or chat with people who do not add complexity to a social situation, mm-hmm. um, when they don't have a, so when they don't have a task to do usually, when they're not chopping vegetables, when they're not um, filling in a spreadsheet, when they're not tidying, cleaning, um, running, exercising, cross-fitting, shopping, um, all that sort of stuff, when they're not doing that, the most likely natural state in which humans find themselves is what is referred to in this book as psychic entropy. Um, catastrophizing about the future, questioning their their being. Um, it doesn't have to be philosophical, it can be ju- just what we were saying. Like, oh, I haven't done my thing, or oh, I'd never do my thing. Oh, when is this train coming? Oh God, it's Monday! I had so much fun at the weekend, and now it's Monday. The
0: anxiety spectrum is probably quite a good way of 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 putting it. Um, In that, you know, it goes from irritation to worry to anxiety to panic, and it's this it's this low level headspace, isn't it? It's not something so overwhelming that people don't manage it. It's something that people so regularly do. It is automatic. Unless they challenge themselves to be able to make the best use of any space they have. When you say
1: manage it, do you mean by watching TV, cooking, sorting out, the, tidying the kids' room, well, as in distractions? Well, that from is one the... way of doing it, yes. But well, there's that... also
0: a positive way of doing it. OK, yes. Or a creative or a constructive way of doing it, which is what we're talking about.
1: Yes, and that's the difficult psychoanalysis-informed route, which is to understand yourself better and develop from within, because it is, as usual, it is no-one's fault but yourself if you have some kind of mental health issue on the platform. So, no, I, I, your face says that I, that was the wrong choice of words. Um, when... Uh, uh, can my voice also say, that was the wrong choice of words? It, it is the fault... Can we give this person a name? Yes, Joe Public. Joe Public. It is the fault of Joe on the platform for getting into that state of anxiety. It is not the fault of society. It is is not um, the government. It is not capitalism. It is not um, London commuting conditions. It is not the train company and the timetable of the train. It is not the fact that there isn't... A hit radio station playing on the platform. It is none of that. It is the fault of Joe for not being able to create order in consciousness.
0: And. Wait, the fault or. and or this may be. You may think this is a bit um, uh, pinko lefty liberal. I'll, uh, I'll talk about that later. But of me. But we would, in, in what I do, we would often have used the. We would have said the language we would have used would have been, it's not about fault, but it is about responsibility.
1: Okay, Yes, that's a better word. It is Joe's responsibility to not feel anxiety when he has nothing but his own thoughts rattling around his head. Or
0: to learn how to use that headspace for whatever we're about to talk about or you're about to focus on okay so my
1: well i wasn't actually i don't uh, this is very relevant and i hadn't thought about it as being something to talk about in the podcast but i can talk about it without going off on a massive tangent um my uh understanding of consciousness and meditation comes pretty much entirely from sam harris an american um, philosopher very popular and as in populist, probably quite unpopular amongst academic philosophers who probably think that he's a bit sort of like what our harsh critic uh, wants us to be in order to stay in our lane—a pop psychology soundbite, Alan DeBotton uh, type of yes, yeah. New York Times bestseller. Um, Still, my favourite feedback of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is—he uh, has a an app which I have started to use for the last two months, um, a meditation app, guided meditation, and um, it's the only time in my life I've ever meditated and had guided meditation, and the only reason that I started it is because of a series of discussions about what is uh, consciousness, what is mindfulness, what is the, which which coincided with reading this book whereby the book talks about psychic entropy and chaos in mind and the talk of consciousness and mindfulness is talk of the process of what is a thought? Um, what, is, what is happening when there's an internal narrative? Um, what is it to be on your own, not doing anything, not talking or listening or paying attention, just sat still on your own and to have constant thoughts popping into your head that you haven't designed like if i say to you the example that he gives um which is in relation to the free will argument which we're not having now because we had that last night with a friend of yours (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll have a podcast about that in the future but not now but in relation to free will sam harris says if i ask you to think of a film Uh say a film the godfather Okay did you think of every film that you ever heard of ever or did the the godfather just pop into your head the godfather just popped
0: into my head
1: so that is his argument that we, that is for another day that's his argument that we don't have free will but it's also um an example of the randomness of thoughts so when you think of the godfather you don't choose um, you don't, it's not like you go into your library of thoughts and you think right films, I need to think of a film I'm going to go to my favourite aisle okay so James has asked me what film would impress James um, I'm, oh I'm saying this on a podcast what can I say, none of that happens it's but, just The but, Godfather not
0: f- but, but that's not true, for some people that is exactly what happens yeah but they don't give an
1: immediate answer they go, uh, oof, it's a hard question, it's a tough one but now. didn't you
0: ask me to give an immediate answer
1: I did want that. I can't remember if I specifically asked it. Maybe
0: I sort of, like, did a hand gesture to suggest that you... Yeah, yeah, or maybe, like, sort of furrowed your brow slightly (laughs) as if I was going to take up too much of the podcast airtime with my voice. (laughs) So, we're on Sam Harris now. Meditation apps, free will... And consciousness. We're not going to get into free will, but it's relevant for
1: consciousness and meditation because when you meditate, the point of meditation is to recognise the thoughts coming into your head, when they come into the, your head, what the content is and how you feel. So if a thought just... So like when, you're stand, when Joe is standing on the platform and it's eight minutes for the train mm-hmm. and Joe thinks I'm fat, for example. He is though. And that manifests. It might that manifests by Joe looking up and down the platform and seeing people who, even if they're not, he thinks that they're thinner than him, and he thinks, why can't I be thin like that? And for eight minutes, this descends into, I'm useless. I can't control my weight. That extends to I can't do a good job at work. Uh, I'm, I'm never going to have attractive. Yeah. yeah, no one will ever love me um what's the point and if depending on the complexity of joe's um uh schema or whatever it might be called philosophical interest he might go into what is the point in life is there a god was i created or am i just a random event and am i meaningless and is life just meaningless and if i'm just fat and meaningless what's the point of anything and then eventually the train arrives and joe gets on angry and sort of like pushes his way to a seat Uh, irritates someone who uh, feels like it was a microaggression. And by the time he's got to work, he's ready to punch someone in the face. A (laughs) macroaggression. And that is an illustration of psychic entropy. And the point of meditation is to recognise, I am comparing myself with others. A thought, looking at others has prompted a thought from nowhere that I am fat that thought, I am fat, is giving me negative feelings. It is conjuring up other thoughts about... Well, du- that's,
0: that's more of a CBT um, focus. I wouldn't say that was the point of meditation. The point of met- meditation, from my perspective and what I've learned, is to let the thoughts come and, and go, allow them to come and go. Oh, well, that's what you're to, trying
1: to do in meditation, but... Yeah, but first breaking to it reckon- down into
0: a clever psychological or clever logical, sorry, um, um, understanding of why you had that thought and what you should do with it. That's w- way more cognitive than than meditative. Okay. Good. Well, I'm glad we cleared that. <laughs> yeah, So, but what do you... Well, sorry, I, I just wanted to interrupt there. I'm sorry, but I didn't want to interrupt your flow. I, but go back, go, go carry on, carry on. So mindfulness, you're
1: concentrating on thoughts popping into your head.
0: Yeah pretty much
1: cbt you're analyzing the logic of thoughts popping into your head and how it determines your feelings yeah testing it out yeah all of that is relevant to finding flow in solitude yes i was trying not to say finding flow in solitude i was trying to say finding being okay about being on your own i was trying not to be scientific i was trying to normal
0: talk that's good that's good being okay about being on your own um, which in many ways I think actually almost all of the podcasts every single one that we've done is on that theme about being okay being on your own as well I mean we're looking at also relationships of course but at the core we're talking about what's going on in your head and what's going on in your head is generally your thoughts and your feelings and then how you manage that so we might have got to the the Holy grail of topics James we might have found it you might have found it in this book being okay about being on your own um, and in other in other episodes and other seasons I've said that I want to make the the podcast useful um, I want it to be something that is um, possibly s- somewhat educational in terms of managing difficult and distressing states and I think I think you've got there James do carry on
1: obviously I want this podcast to be perpetually ascending Mm -hmm. on the flow diagram whereby complexity, complexity is relentlessly
0: and exponentially blossoming Lovely, how oh, I do like that, yes, so obviously you want that. so how today can we help <laughs> can we help our listener? Um, in terms of the, the enjoyment of solitude, you've made some really clear points that there is an almost default setting for many people, but not for everyone, to as soon as there is a, a kind of an isolated headspace, whether you're in public or whether you're alone and whether you're with others or whether you're on your own. There's an there's a default headspace we go to that is on the anxiety spectrum, that is somewhere low-level stress, anxiety, worry, concern, self-doubt, negative talk, uh, focusing too much on the self, focusing on perceived inadequacies, perceived wrongs, um, unfavourable comparisons, um, uh, And and, and things that we perhaps can't change or don't need to change. And that, for many people, is where you default to. That is almost normal. Not healthy, but it's almost normal. Especially in Britain, I think, um, from from what I'd understand. But it's not necessarily being on the mental ill health spectrum. Uh, It's very very low level, is what I'm saying. The NHS wouldn't care. The NHS... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I didn't have a very good eight minutes on the platform this morning. Can I have uh, ten years of Jungian psychoanalysis, please? <laughs> OK, so what did I get my six weeks of free NHS therapy for? Um, you fainted when you had a blood yes, but, test. But the doctor thought that... No, the doctor asked me if I had, had, if I had, been de- if I had felt depressed... In the time leading up to me fainting, and I said yes because I wanted therapy, <laughs> or because I wanted to, I wanted to go in. I, I was, I had never been into the private practice. I'd never had a taste of the thing that I had seen on TV, uh-huh. which was this glamorous world of a wonderfully educated and incomprehensibly knowledgeable therapist who sits back and listens to someone gives them the privilege of being able to talk about themselves and they are supremely interested and with an incomprehensibly knowledgeable basis to give feedback specifically tailored to that person. It's just a, it was, it's just a s- selfish utopia and I recognised that I was on the verge of being given that for free by the NHS depending on whether I said yes or no in answer to the question have I been depressed mm-hmm. recently So obviously I said yes, and then I had six sessions of NHS therapy.
0: But you'd also imagine that underneath the conscious process that you just described, there was the need to talk to someone. Absolutely,
1: and the six weeks were nowhere near enough, and I then had a decade (coughs) of psychic entropy before I started making this podcast. They didn't scratch the
0: surface, did they? Exactly. So um, I guess... I guess what we what you were asking about was no I guess what you were you were inferring was that um even if we have ongoing low level anxiety uh, psychic entropy as you're you're calling it as well we probably wouldn't be able to access free therapy correct I think you might be right in some circumstances but it depends how regularly that is getting in the way of you living a more fulfilling life. I would say for most people
1: it's constant, but they don't recognise it and they don't go to the NHS with it. And if they did go to the NHS with it, there would be a meltdown as what is happening here type of situation.
0: let's hope we're not opening the floodgates, James. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you're right. I guess we would hope that podcasts like this and books and conversations with friends and programmes that are on the television and the practice the you know the personal practice of meditation or um, engaging kind of like cognitive challenges um, to the self that would help someone avoid having to ask the NHS for therapy for this low level of kind of distress and anxiety
1: yes well, I would love to have 10 years of indulgent Jungian analysis lying on the couch but it costs a lot of money and I've never had that and don't anticipate having it anytime soon and so everything that I've done to get myself from the chaos of my mind when I was in my 20s to the relative order that I have now found in my 30s has been entirely self-initiated, listening to people reading books and spending a lot of time in solitude thinking and Reflecting and combining all of this to understand what happened in my past and what it means to just be a human being and have a brain and have thoughts rather than just assuming the kind of like fairy tale narratives you're told in life that you that all you have to do is be a good person and um, get a good job and have friends and be healthy, have a healthy lifestyle, do some exercise. Find a nice partner, do all these things, and yeah, you know, and have a nice home, and then you will have lived a good life. But obviously, that's you can do all those things, and as is often seen in reality and in drama, you can do all those things, and then and be miserable in a constant state of anxiety, never have inner calmness,
0: or cool. and that S- psychological fulfillment well, by yourself. Say that again? Inner calmness or psychological fulfilment when you're by yourself. Yes. Or when you're experiencing solitude. Um, so how does the book guide the listener or the reader? Yeah, that's the question. Okay, so it's I, I wouldn't necessarily say the book is a guide
1: here. It, it starts with... The obvious, or it's obvious by page 169, because it's, it will be familiar to you, dear listener, if you've been listening to this season from the start. Uh, basically, don't watch TV. So it's saying that most people, yeah, you walk into a room, it's silent, there's no one else in there. So let's say you get home from work, would be the example. You get home from work, you walk into your flat, um, mm-hmm. you walk into a room, it's silent, there's no one in there, you turn the TV on. Because then it's just, there's something ticking over in the background that occupies your mind.
0: Yeah, habitually it, it's it's uh, the go-to um, management of psychic entropy.
1: Yes, you don't, you, if, if, if the TV's on, you're not left with your own thoughts potentially descending into chaos or the responsibility of ordering them. You just listen to what's happening on the TV and watch it and go, oh, and so on. Pretty colours. Um, then he moves on to drugs. So if the TV doesn't do it for you, mind-altering drugs can um, take you away from your anxiety and reorder consciousness. And when we talked about drugs in a previous uh, episode, from a previous chapter, um, we picked a bone with the book. We did pick
0: a bone with the book.
1: I think I understand better now that what he's saying in the book is not a moralising judgment over whether drugs are good or bad or whether in the 80s he had a a subjective opinion about people who take drugs as opposed to people who don't, etc. What he's saying, I think, makes sense in that um, if you take drugs, they can chemically alter your state of consciousness to something that doesn't naturally happen effortlessly. Um, But that doesn't add complexity of the definition that we use when we're talking about flow. It shuffles things around, it doesn't add. So it gives you a new perspective on your current situation which is not the, the anxiety that you naturally form when you're left on your own and you're not practised at dealing with it. It gives you uh, a new perspective on life. And each drug does that differently. So you've got depressants and whatever the opposite is. Stimulants. And, and hallucinogenic drugs. Mm-hmm. So they all change, alter your state of consciousness, but they don't add complexity Because you're not, you're passive. So like you like you consume the TV, um, and it takes your and it orders your thoughts by making you listen to the person and watch the thing. What about someone that takes drugs and paints a picture? He uses that very specific example in here and says that people have the misconception that great art comes from mind-altering drugs, transcending an artist into a place that no one else has been before, creating something that no one else has possibly thought of before, and therefore that is the purest form of unbelievably mind-bending creative um, aspiration. Uh And he's saying, no, no. No, no, no. Wrong. You got it wrong. Would I be right in assuming that you think what I've just said and I'm about to talk to you and your opinions from the point of view of the book as if you, Dan Brown, are wrong and everything you believe is wrong to do with Um, taking drugs?
0: No, no, you wouldn't be right. Okay, good. Um, I'm able to hold two conflicting beliefs about this at the same time. Which is correct and complex. Well done.
1: Um, So I've underlined many things from the book that I want to read out today. We haven't got to any of them, and I'm now going to read out something that I didn't (laughs) underline. Work that is carried out under the influence of drugs lacks the complexity we expect from good art. It tends to be obvious and self-indulgent. A chemically altered consciousness may bring forth unusual thoughts images and feelings that later, when clarity returns, the artist can use. The danger is that in becoming dependent on chemicals for patterning the mind, he risks losing the ability to control
0: it by himself. And I think many, many um, musicians and artists would probably have had that as an experience, the wonder and joy of um, engaging in making music or writing or painting Either whilst under the influence or or due to the feelings and the thoughts that come out of the experience, and then over time realize that actually it it doesn't feel as genuine and it doesn't feel as honest and it doesn't feel as there's not as much ownership of the work that is created. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's quite a common experience for artists who have longevity um and use substances to to enable them earlier on in their career. But then there's also arguments that you are uh, connected to the divine, you know connected to you know God is talking through you or various entities from other worlds or even the you know the the essence of nature speaks through your hands when you're on psychedelics. Um, so there are different arguments and I'm guessing to rely like he says to rely solely on Patterning your mind via using um, drugs and, and, and substances is not truly your own creativity. It, it it comes from the the, you know, adding something in that shakes up who you are for a while. I
1: think it's fair to say that most people taking drugs fall into the category of escaping their mind in its normal, neutral Mm -hmm. setting. I I agree. Much like people turn on the TV (laughs) so they don't have to be in their own mind. They can just have sounds and
0: images flicking past. Was it not Karl Marx who said that Netflix is the opium of the masses? (laughs) And the other
1: example that Mickley uses is sex. Casual sex being some kind of, like, little thing to pass the time. (laughs) But what does he say? He says, um, like he's, he's, he's seen, I think he's quite prudish, so he doesn't, he doesn't use any explicit... Well, killing time, that's it. He says, um, much of what passes for sexuality is also just a way of imposing an external order on our thoughts of killing time without having to confront the perils of solitude. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's, it's an interesting... That opens up a like a whole can of um, psychological worms or a can of... It just... Because... Psychological sperm. Psychological sperms. It, it may well be that for a lot of people that's right. I'm, I'm immediately picturing people dressing up on a Friday and Saturday night and I may be really outdated in saying this now, but to go out on the pool, you know... And yeah, there's generally alcohol involved or often alcohol involved, sometimes drugs involved. But, uh, you know, a group of lads going on a holiday in Faleraki or, or Costa Brava or Benidorm to pull, to have sex, to, to take the place of that absence in their head. And, you know, this isn't to criticise them as people, to take the, the space up, to allow them to know who they are. There's someone that pulls. There's someone that is attractive. There's someone that is wanted. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you, you could probably shoot off another another sperm into the idea of, like, trying to procreate, and that is the focus, and it's, it's not really creative. It's just to make more babies, you know? So, well... What is more creative than making babies? You're literally creating life. Yeah, but it's also... It's also... What's the word? Um... Pretty base. If we're talking about a, if we're talking about what is a flow activity and what is not, and he's talking about casual sex not being a flow activity, you know the idea that if the drive is just to create more life, then it then it isn't really that complex, is it? If the drive is to create more life and help carve and nurture and produce a human being that adds value and complexity to the planet, yeah, we're talking about flow activity. Not to shoot your spunk up something <laughs> so that it gives birth to another something nine months later. In the way a mosquito might, without the complexity
1: of the human mind, I don't actually know how mosquitoes procreate. I don't know if they have any weird sexual
0: acts that... Uh, I'm sure they do. They probably, like, spit some weird (laughs) salty web over the (laughs) male and then, like, they fall up the vagina and disintegrate inside whilst releasing sperm. (laughs) Probably. I mean, it's most likely that that's how they do it. But um, I suppose what I'm saying, and maybe I I did go off on a tangent that wasn't well thought through there, maybe I'm not the genius I thought I was, James. Um, But, yeah, the going out on the town to pull to have sex... It's, you know, it's, it, yeah, it can be an enjoyable and pleasurable activity perhaps, but there's not a huge amount of complexity to it. And it's repetitive.
1: You can predict the outcome because it's the, the, the Saturday night, week in, week out, follows the same pattern. It's predictable. They know what's going to happen. It doesn't add complexity in this sense. So, so far, um, we've looked at the person standing on the platform. And one thing I wanted to say, actually, that I... I didn't, was you can see, if you are looking at Joe, if you're also on the platform, if you're on the platform and you're totally okay with being on your own and you've mastered all this, guess who I'm thinking of, guess who I'm picturing? Yourself. Um, And you're looking at someone else on the platform who you don't know and they're not talking to you or anything like that, you're just people watching, you can tell when someone is agitated in their own company you can see them uncomfortable they're fidgeting they get their phone out they look all around they look mainly avoiding eye contact mainly looking at the floor Um, but but their body is as restless as their mind you can see it you can see the twitching you can see the eye moving quickly you can see the fidgety discomfort of someone who is anxious
0: it's a physical thing as well as just a mental thing it can be yes
1: Okay.
0: So that—that's what you wanted to say about Joe Public.
1: But do you think you can be mentally chaotic and externally totally still?
0: Do you think you can be totally still?
1: I feel like if ever I'm anxious, I'm probably moving around and not <clears throat> maintaining eye contact and. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. most likely, yeah, yeah. But I'm so just saying. I think you probably can. Maybe. but if you can master that, then... (laughs) If you think of catatonic states, and I know that that's quite an extreme state, so a catatonic state in in psychiatric terms may well be someone suffering with some kind of... I guess we don't really know, but like um, severe psychotic episode, which I wouldn't describe as calm, yet their entire body is not moving to the point of catatonia. Paralysis. Isn't paralysis. It? Thank okay. you. Yeah, but catatonic state is. I mean, some, someone might be able to shuffle over to the side of the room, but there's no none of the normal responses that you would see in someone who is panicked or anxious or restless. Oh well, that's some, that's quite extra. That's sort of like
1: goes back to our phobia episode. It does. It does. What, it harks how you back to the episode. How you react when you see a spider, for example? Fight, flight, or freeze. The listener, if you haven't listened to our phobia episode, that's one of my favourites of all the ones that we've done. Good,
0: and do you remember what number episode it is of what season?
1: No, but it's called phobia and it, of season four. Excellent. Um, but that is quite extreme. That sort of like if you do reach some sort of paralysis, uh, then. It's more extreme than the average person who is not comfortable in their own head, standing on the platform for eight minutes, um, getting anxious because they're not distracted by anything. They've just got to wait eight minutes for the train in their own company. Before we move, Dan's trying to do this silently so that you don't notice this listener, but I'm just going to say what he's done. He's just picked up the piece of paper that I read out earlier with all the things in the episode and has noticed probably that, we have, that we're only on the very first pink subheading. Um, so I'm going to make a decision here. Hold James. on. I, know what your de- I think I know what your decision is, and we cannot make that decision until I've just very briefly talked about yesterday because I did bring it up earlier and then we just left it. And even though I'm embracing just leaving things these days, I think it's relevant. Can you hit us with it, James? So I started to tell this story by rewinding and giving too much contextual detail, a personal character flaw that I'm still working on. And that was when I was talking about being on my own in a room in Montpellier a year Uh ago. uh Then I moved to Paris and was... Um, I had the combination of interacting with people in the language school, but was uh, on a couple of occasions for a month on end each time, living on my own, and I loved it. I could not have been more content than in my own company, and that was when I started The Walking, um, whereby I was listening to podcasts, but still I, I was...
0: You don't need to justify yourself to us, James. No, I don't want to justify myself. Yeah, James, I wanted... you don't need to. It's okay, okay, James. Podcasts, as we've discussed in a previous episode, podcasts or music or engaging in something... Uh... Can
1: lead to complexity or can just be a distraction. They can be both. Okay. Um, so, but there were lots of times when I was just on my own in a room and... I, like I like we know, I've, I grew up as an only child. I spent hours on my own in my bedroom. But over the past year, I managed to get rid of a, lot of a lot of the chaos that was in my mind with the kind of thoughts that... I've just been talking about Joe on the platform getting distracted by thoughts of being fat, comparing himself with other people on the platform or something like that. But I've had that kind of chaos for years. I've, the whole decade of my 20s, that kind of chaos prevented me from ever really
0: finding much satisfaction in my previous London life and you've talked a lot about this a lot of it was to do with your kind of role and work and who you were going to be and what you should achieve and and getting the right job and living the right lifestyle and then even the things that you do still now enjoy like painting and doing art there was a pressure to it that was going on inside your mind that meant that you weren't actually able to enjoy any of the things, no matter whether you achieved them or not. And it extended way beyond that to
1: expectations <coughs> of, of the world and what, should, what were my political beliefs and what I, thought, what I thought should be solutions to problems in the world and why it didn't happen and how I was, didn't understand that and just thought that... you know, And so on and so on and so on. In 2019, I managed to get rid of that chaos significantly from my mind to the point where I was even starting to try and understand the, the process of thought by trying to, uh, understand, understand, trying to get my head around conversations about consciousness and trying to practice meditation as a way of concentrating on thoughts. Then, yesterday, mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, I found myself in quite a chaotic state of mind. Um, I actually had an enjoyable evening on the whole, in total solitude. I left work and I walked from Hammersmith to the Victoria and Albert Museum. Um, I did it because it was Friday and in London museums are free and on Friday nights, Thursdays and Fridays, many of them open late until about 10 o'clock. So last night the V&A was open until 10. Uh, I haven't been there for a while. I've been there lots of times before, but I'm currently enjoying London as if with brand new eyes i'm looking at the trees that i'd never noticed before i'm looking at the architectural styles that i had totally ignored in the past um i'm going down streets i've been along hundreds of times and just seeing things that i have never actually seen before because i would go past them without taking notice of what was around me without noticing what was coming in so the visual uh eyes feeding the brain with visual information and me ignoring that visual information whilst being lost in the chaos of my thoughts. And last night, I went to the v and in inside the museum, I mostly had a good time of enjoying stuff in that museum that I had previously dismissed. Like, there have been times where I've walked quite comically quickly through galleries of the v thinking... Uh, statues, old stuff, fashion, not interested in that. Oh, Asian art, African art, American art. Okay, right, that's what the v is. Not really all that interested. Seen
0: it, done it. Gif- gift shop, yay! Yeah. Postcard of that, postcard of that, postcard of that. Didn't even look at them. Out of there. Out of there. Um, I've done that
1: n- numerous times before. Mm-hmm. And so last... Uh, night, I decided to do what I had become accustomed to doing on my many travels around Europe going into museums and just finding a nice room, sitting down and spending time in front of a thing, a painting, usually, but in the case of the VA yesterday, it was the casts room, which is two enormous high ceilinged rooms with giant casts of sculptures and Mm, architecture mm, mm, mm. and i went in there and i sat down and i looked at the reproduction of an arch in the cathedral in bologna one of my quite possibly my favorite city in the world for art architecture and food and a bit of that was um there in in, london there in london and i sat (laughs) there and i enjoyed it but The whole, the evening as a whole got me agitated. Hmm. I'm aware that I'm, I was, when I was doing all this stuff on my own in various locations around Europe, I was aware that I was just travelling on my own. I was aware that I was doing my own thing. I was going to a museum. There's no way that it was a plan. It was just, I woke up, had breakfast. I want to go to a museum. I go to a museum. Here I am. I'm in the museum. In, when I'm in London, I'm aware that it's Friday night I know people in London, it's very difficult to see any of them.
0: Why is that, James?
1: Because of the size of London, the nihilistic, globalised state that London is in, whereby religion has disappeared and nothing has replaced it, and people just live their lives randomly, mostly TV and alcohol-fuelled, and have... And work far too many hours, have very little time, get very stressed about their free time, try and cram too much in <laughs> and feel like they need to have a sort of like a successful social life, which means that they plan too many things and then they never have the opportunity to just spontaneously go to the v and on a Friday night with it not being in the calendar. Mm, so the, I- the mm. idea that I would just say to a friend, hey, I'm going to the v and tonight, do you want to come? that is what I want and that is what is difficult to get and it didn't happen last night. But then I didn't actually ask anyone. But all of these thoughts, I wouldn't have had any of these thoughts in Paris. There were no friends in Paris. There's no way of inviting someone to the, to the, to the Louvre in Paris. Um, it's only ever going to be me going on my own. I just live here and I'm not going to invite my adolescent students. I'm not, I wasn't going to invite, I don't know, my landlord... It was it was only ever the case that I would go to the Louvre look at it, enjoy it, go home, cook something nice, have a lovely time in London there is the possibility of oh there are lots of people that I know and like in London, and any one of them might join me for an evening in the VNA and that might um, make it enjoyable oh but mm. the the world conspires against The ease of that situation Mm. I am now aware that in a city where I know people I am on my own walking around a museum on a Friday night uh alone alone um I but (laughs) it's, it's not so much the feeling of inadequacy like oh I'm not good enough I'm not at the party I'm fearing missing out it's not that it's more the chaos of oh maybe I should have thought about this in advance, maybe I shouldn't just spontaneously come to the museum if I think it would be a nice thing to do it with someone because then it's impossible to just assume someone can just come at the drop of a hat I should have, I don't know, I've just bored myself with this, but these boring thoughts were going through my head and cluttering the enjoyment of just looking at things in a museum How do you manage it? I walk from the museum to Earl's Court station, and I knew I was aware that the thoughts I was having were just uncontrolled thoughts popping into my mind, and that I had not been doing a very good job of controlling them. But that, unlike in the past, they didn't lead to their natural conclusion. So, a thought of "Oh, I'm alone in the museum" didn't lead to "I'm always alone. People hate me. My life." Is not the success I wanted. Everything is a disaster. I have no way of solving it because it's such an impossible problem. I've just got to deal with an underwhelming life. It's horrible and I'm not equipped and everything is confusing and why isn't everything better and what have I done? None of that happened last night. So when I say that I experienced uh, my first psychic entropy as kind of like a product of the London that is part of the reason I wanted to get out of London and part of the appeal of uh, some of the other places that i've been um, whilst that did bring about some chaos last night whereby I thought I can only even though I could be sharing this experience with a friend it's so difficult in London in 2020 to do that despite communication despite whatsapp despite all of that it's still so difficult to do that that it leads to feelings of social unfulfillment is that a word unfulfillment not fulfillment and a A lack
0: of social fulfillment i i
1: like spending time with other people i want now that i'm back in london part of the purpose of coming back here is that i've spent a lot of time in solitude over the past year, and I've totally missed out on what will inevitably be part two of this very long episode, which is enjoying um, the complexity that spending time with other people provides. I want to spend time with friends in London. It would have been nice to see someone last night. I had made no effort. I'm not not fishing for sympathy here. I hadn't asked anyone. I hadn't made any effort to meet anyone last night. It's not like I desperately tried to see friends last night and they all had excuses and I ended up with a tear in my eye going on my own. There's none of that. It was more that I am in a situation where I potentially could spend time with other people. It's difficult for that to happen. And last night it didn't happen. And that caused some... Disorder in my mind as I was thinking about all the stuff that I've just said, but with my newfound ability to recognise thoughts mm. and to avoid psychic entropy escalating into the anxiety and the mental distress that it can lead to without... Taming. I just kept it at a manageable level. I took a walk. I enjoyed looking at the architecture and the trees. I got on the train. I uh, read uh, my book and I came home and had what turned out to be a very enjoyable evening with you and your friend. And we discussed whether or not free will exists. And on that bombshell. On that bombshell. <laughs>
0: So what we've managed to do is actually quite nicely um, get halfway through what we wanted to talk about. We we have covered in as much as I think we can in a single podcast, um, uh, loneliness, isolation very briefly um, and looking at solitude and, and it being our responsibility and our task to do that. Although we didn't give huge, huge suggestions and, and detailed suggestions as to how to do that. But we definitely talked about some of the... Tricks and some of the enjoyable tasks of cognitive therapy. We also talked about uh, mindfulness and the practice of that, as well as the practice of meditation. So, we talked about those three areas that you could look into if you were recognizing and understanding some of what we were talking about in terms of that low level anxiety and distress that a lot of us can feel. And it's very easy, even when you are the lofty James Hall, to fall back into it at times. So, the area that we didn't talk about from this chapter is um, the flow of relationships and being with friends and family and then a little bit about community and wider. So I think we have quite happily got to the end of part one of episode eight of Flow. And you you guys will be joining us next week for uh, episode two of episode eight. Part, oh, no. Come and help me out here. I would put it slightly differently. When you said...
1: um what you just said of the 20 odd things that i said we were going to talk about at the start of the episode we've looked at four 16 to come in part two of episode eight of flow enjoying solitude and other people next time we'll try and get in dorothy in the wild we did get in dorothy in the wild we totally didn't we totally did. There's a story about a woman who lives in a city and goes and she carves things into trees and she has wolves looking in the window. I didn't talk didn't, about any of you that. You didn't get that far, but you introduced Dorothy. Yeah, but I introduced everything on this piece of paper in the introduction. And this, there's nothing, nothing I'm about to say has not escaped my lips because it was all in the introduction. But we haven't talked about any of this. We, I haven't given the story of Dorothy in the Wild. I haven't... We haven't got onto selfish genes, child abuse, attachment theory... No, utility no, 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 no. That,
0: that is episode two, quite
1: clearly, but... Yes. Anyway. <laughs> I, listener, I think that actually what's really going on here is the food is ready,
0: and Dan is hungry. Mm, it's not the food is ready. I had to stop cooking it to record the podcast. <laughs> there's, there's a problem here. The flow of food... Anyway, uh, so thank you very much to the listener. Um, uh, I'm Daniel P. Brown. I'll see you next time. As will I, unfortunately. Sorry about that. Goodbye. (laughs) It's a wonderful story.